0: In 1952, Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean to swim 22 miles to the California coast. Now, she was the first woman who uh, swam the English Channel both ways. But she stepped into those waters, and it was a foggy, foggy day, and she proceeded to swim to the California coast and 15 long, emotionally and physically exhausting hours later, she quit. She just couldn't swim any farther. And there was a boat there beside her. Her mother was in the boat and others. And finally she said, take me out. So they hoisted her out. Uh, into the boat and there she found out she was a half a mile from the shore just a half a mile and at the press conference she said I mean, it was so foggy if I could have just seen the shore I think I would have made it if, if I could have just seen the shore You ever feel like that? You know, you just have a hard week or a foggy week or an emotionally or physically draining, exhausting week, and you just are about ready to quit. Whatever it is, you're about ready to quit. And you just think for a minute, you know, I mean, even today, for some of you, you know, it was a difficult decision, just it was all you could do to just get up and get dressed and come here and you just think if I could just see the shore. If I could just see the shore. And this morning, church family, I want us to see the shore. I want us to see the shore. The shore is Jesus, and the shore is heaven. Jesus and heaven. That's the shore, and they're inseparable. You can't get heaven without getting Jesus, and you can't get Jesus without getting heaven. Someone once said that Jesus is heaven's center of gravity. Jesus and heaven, the shore. And that shore, that reality, That coming age is what drives the Apostle Paul to write words to his lieutenant in the faith, Timothy, so that Timothy could in turn instruct and teach and, yes, command prosperous Christians in the first century city of Ephesus, instructing them how they need to live and respond and act and serve and share with the gifts and abilities and treasures and talents and time that God has poured into their lives. The reality of heaven. And if you have your Bibles, I want us to listen once again to what the Apostle Paul has been telling Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter six, verses 17, 18, and particularly verse 19 where we'll be today. You can find that on page 841 of your church Bibles or it's up on the screen. 1 Timothy chapter six, the New Testament book of 1 Timothy chapter six, verses 17, 18, and 19. Why don't we just read this together out loud? Here we go. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds." and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. First Timothy chapter six, 17, 18, and 19. I want us to see the shore because according to the apostle Paul, Seeing the shore is the greatest motivation for serving and sharing. It is. It's the, it's the greatest motivation. We've been talking about that this, these past few weeks. And and let me tell you, this just strikes at the the heart of of what it is that allows God's people to continue to be inspired and motivated to serve and share as, as people, redeemed people of the gospel. Let me tell you what doesn't motivate, provide continual motivation. Here's what doesn't motivate guilt. Guilt is not a lasting motivation for serving and sharing. It's not. It doesn't work. It is a very, very short, short-term uh, motivational tool. And I mean, eh, short-term. And let me tell you what else isn't a lasting motivation. It's not need. It's not. And by that I mean it, people who are in need. That is, because you see, if need were a lasting motivation to serve and share, then the need would already be filled, because there's enough. there's enough, there's enough in our world, there's enough in our nation to meet all of the, all of the physical needs there, there really is. I mean, but still we have poor. Jesus said, "You'll always have the poor. Why? Because need is not a lasting motivation. But you know what is? The sure. The what do we mean by that? Well, that's what I want us to discuss. That's what I want us to learn today as we look at these verses, and particularly in verse 19, I have a couple of questions which swirl in my mind that I want us to answer. For instance, question number one is What is the life that is truly life? What is that? What is the life that is truly life? I want us to talk about that this morning. And then I want us to answer the question How can we take hold of that life right now, all right? What is the life that is truly life? What's the, what, what is, when the Bible talks about the coming age, what does that involve? And then how can I lay hold of the coming age, the life that is truly life, today, right now? Well, that's where we're going. So let's answer question number one. What is the life that is truly life? Well, It is a non-negotiable, essential, core truth of Christianity that this life is not all there is. I mean, it's not. I mean, if it were, the Apostle Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied among all people. I mean, if this life is all that there is, let me be quite frank. You've got better things to do with your time than gathering here on, on Sunday morning. Really? <laughs> uh, you know? I mean, do, let, let's, not, let's not amuse ourselves by any of this patronizing nonsense that, well, even if Christianity weren't true, I'd still be a Christian because of the kind of life that it leads. Yada, yada, yada. Hooey. No, I don't believe that. If this, life is, if this life is all there is, I got more sinning to do. That's the word of wisdom from your pastor today. Okay? <laughs> huh? That's right. If this life is all there is, if this life is all there is, but it's a core, essential, non-negotiable truth, That this life is not all there is. James says that what is this life? It's but a it's but a vapor that appears for a little while, and then there is the coming age. The next life. Oh yeah. Eternal life. And the Apostle Paul says to young Timothy, I want you to to take hold of that. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. But understand that this eternal life is not just a matter of dying and then living forever. See, eternal life is not just a matter of just living forever. But according to Jesus himself, eternal life is knowing the eternal life Eternal One. Jesus himself said in John chapter 17 verse 3, now this is eternal life. That they may know you the only true God. Not just any old God. You don't get to pick your God. See there's a true God and then there's a false God. There's a correct God and then there's an incorrect God. Not just any old God. But that they may know you, the only true God. Not that you get to, these gods are false, but these gods are true. No, 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 the only, there's one. There's one true God, and that means everybody else is false. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, God's Son, as king of kings and lord of lords eternal life is not just a matter of living eternally eternal life is knowing the eternal one and what we are promised church family is that in the coming age oh, this is why i'm so glad that virgil has in his adult bible fellowship class has been studying the book of revelation because church family revelation is the shore The revelation of Jesus Christ given to the apostle John while on Patmos, which was the first century audience, believers who were struggling, who were in the fog of persecution. This book was given to those believers that they might keep swimming there's the shore. Keep your eyes focused upon the shore. Jesus and heaven are the shore. And what we're gonna learn, I just can only give you just a little bit of revelation, is that we're gonna be we're gonna we're gonna be doing that which we've longed for most in next life. What we've longed for most in this life. Just listen to these few verses in Revelation 22, 3 through 5. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb. That's Jesus. We'll be in it, and get this, and his servants will worship him. Verse 4, they will see his face. And verse 5, they will reign forever and ever What are we going to be doing in the coming age? Oh, they will worship him. They will see his face. They will reign with him forever. Let's just talk about each of those for just a minute. His servants will will worship him. Now, I know, I know, I know. The idea of, okay, his servants will worship him. (laughs) I can barely, I can barely get through these 70 minutes on Sunday. (laughs) I'm going to be doing this forever. (laughs) Okay, how is that good? Well, I I, I know. I mean, I understand. Uh, I do. I mean, I'm thinking right now of when I was in fourth grade at Memorial Drive United Methodist Church and I sat in my little navy blazer and my blue shirt and my navy blue tie and there I sat and I just, you know, while the preacher was preaching, I kind of looked at the wall and uh, he was preaching away and I was just, you know, I looked contemplatively at the wall And, 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 and the shore for me then in Tulsa, the shore for me, which helped me, you know, get through this fog of this worship service as a fourth grader, the shore for me was the idea that. Within one hour, I was going to be watching an NFL game, either the Dallas Cowboys or the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, that was it. I mean, someone behind me might be thinking, "Oh, what a nice fourth-grade boy, contemplatively listening to the sermon and thinking godly things." No, he was thinking about Fran Tarkington. That's what he was thinking, and Roger Staubach. Okay, so I understand, but yet, see, our minds go to the fact well, all of this is is worth no. Biblically speaking, Worship is giving all that we are to all that God is. And that goes beyond what happens in this particular room. It spills over into our marriage and into our work and into our lives and at school. And so much so that our corporate gathering in this room is really supposed to be just the overflow. Do you want to know how to have a sizzling worship service on the Sunday morning gathering? When each of us collectively are out in the community, out in the neighborhood in our marriage and at home worshipping God and then what happens here is just a, an overflow of all week and 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 what the, what the bible says is that you know there what what does it say there no longer will there be anything accursed you see if you're a maturing believer believers who want to passionately pursue Christ find themselves frustrated that they're not able to You know, give more and more of all that they are to all that God is. Why? Because we live in a sinful world and I think sinful thoughts and I have impure motives and I lack energy and I get drowsy and I get tired and I get sick and tired of being sick and tired and I long for that day and Jesus says, just hang on. Keep your eye on the shore because there's going to come a day in the new heavens and the new earth with new bodies. You will have unlimited energy and unlimited time in sinless bodies to do there what you long to do most here. His servants will worship him. And then, verse 4 says, they will see his face. They will see his face. Oh, I'm telling you. You know, in the corporate gatherings in the new heavens and the new earth, it's not going to be me up teaching. No, no, no. I'm going to be sitting right here, and it's going to be Jesus. And he's the one who's going to be teaching, and he's the one who's going to be feeding us his word and his truth. And that's going to be anything but boring. I guarantee you that. In the ancient kingdom of Persia, only seven had access, unlimited access to the king. But in heaven we will have everyday access. Psalm 89.15 says, Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they will walk in the light of your presence, Lord. We will worship him. We will see him. And then, don't miss this. We will reign forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth, this is, this, is, this is not new age mysticism. This is biblical Christianity. God will allow his people to do in perfect sinless bodies what we haven't really done so well in this life and that is ruling. God made Adam and Eve to exercise dominion and we sinned, and we made a wreck of it, and this world's been a wreck. But in the redeemed world with redeemed bodies, God will allow us to participate in the management responsibilities of the new heavens and the new earth. My goodness. Huh. And Paul talks about that in Corinthians. Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Don't you know that we Christians are going to judge the world? Don't you realize that we Christians will judge angels? That's a reality. We will have the expanded capacity to do then what we've longed to do most now. Worship, serve see Jesus face to face, and reign. That's the sure, church family. That's a reality. This life is but a vapor compared to the eternal life, the life that is truly life, the coming age life, the life of not just living eternally, but knowing the eternal one. That's the kind of life that awaits us. And that gives unspeakable hope when we feel like we're in a fog. And I'm thinking right now of Johnny Erickson Tata who when she was 17 between graduating from high school and being enrolled in college she took a dive off the Chesapeake Bay and the water was shallow and she fractured her neck And she's a quadriplegic for over 30 years now. Listen to what she says about the coming age. I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful, dazzling. Can you imagine the hope that gives someone spinal cord injured like me? Or someone who is cerebral palsied, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis. Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. Oh, yeah. That's the shore. That's the coming age. And, and that is what propels Johnny Erickson Tata to over the past 30 years to give her life in service and in sharing because if you were to ask her, she's just not waiting around for heaven in that chair. She is experiencing the coming age in her life. She's taking hold of it now. And how? That's my next question, isn't it? Huh? Huh? What is... The life that is true to the life, we've talked about that. Now, how can I take hold of it now? Oh, that's what Paul says in these verses here. Here's how you take hold of that. Paul says in 19, in this way, in in what way? In what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. You know, not being arrogant with the wealth God has given us because it comes from Him. Not putting our hope in it, which is so uncertain, but to put our hope in God. Sack, commanding them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will, and, and get this, lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. This is amazing. In some mysterious way, God says that as we serve and as we share in Jesus' name, we are somehow as already redeemed children of God. As already redeemed children of God, we are able to contribute to the richness. Of the coming age. It's not about earning our salvation because these words were written to God's people who are already saved. That's already done. God is saying, You're my child, and I want you to live like heaven is real in your life now. And the way to do that is to sacrificially serve and sacrificially share. And as you do that, it's like making a deposit. What's this? This is a deposit slip. And I use this several times a month for my bank. It's a deposit slip. And I have uh, another account where every month, every month, I don't even see it. It's just done automatically. There's a deposit made in my retirement account where where that money is, I've got an appointment with that in the, in the coming age, about sixty-five-ish or something like that, and you take Scott Olthoff's Financial Peace University class, and you'll learn about managing the resources. and I think there's another information meeting tonight at six, isn't there? So, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about making deposits. Making deposits in a way, in some mysterious way, God's children can contribute to the splendor of the coming age. Well, what what kind of currency are you talking about, huh? Oh, the kind of currency that Paul has been speaking of being rich in good deeds and being generous and willing to share, sacrificial serving and sacrificial sharing. That's a deposit. So, for instance, you mentor a student here in our community. God says, that's a deposit. You serve our toddlers in Sunday school. That's a deposit. You enjoy table fellowship with someone who cannot pay you back. That's a deposit. You go to the nursing home and you pray with someone who would otherwise have no one. That's a deposit. You bring someone to church who otherwise would not have a ride. That's a deposit. You lead or teach a small group or Bible study, either from within the ministry of this local church or just out in the community at work because you you care about people and you want to you influence others for Christ. God says, that's a deposit. You make yourself available for someone at work who needs your ear. That's a deposit. You serve at Salt and Light, or you go to the Dominican Republic. That's a deposit. You tithe, you give 10% because you trust God's promises in Malachi. Test me in this, God says that's a deposit or you share an anonymous gift because you want God to get the credit that's a deposit or you decide that any additional income that you receive is not just for the purpose of you raising your standard of living but to raise your standard of giving that's a deposit or you serve in an elected capacity in this community knowing that your that that your excellence of service will enhance the reputation of Christ that's a deposit Do you get what the Apostle Paul is trying to say, church family? The main point, the big idea, the sermon in a sentence is simply this. Heaven is earth's greatest reason to give. Heaven is earth's greatest. The coming age is the greatest reason to share and serve in this age. That's it. And you might be asking, well, okay, where do I take this deposit slip? Huh? Wow. You see this green sheet here? You've got it in your pews. You see it? These are branches which will receive your deposits. And they are just a few of the many. And on one side, there are branch offices outside the ministry of this church and they will receive your deposit of sacrificial sharing and service. They will. And then on the other side are opportunities, branch offices within this local church, which will receive your deposit. And, and here's the deal. Each of us cannot do all of these. Right? I mean, each of us, each of us cannot do all of these. But all of us can do one of these. Uh, see? So pick one. And they'll receive your deposit. And Because when you do, you're showing that you're keeping your eyes focused on the shore. When you do, you're showing that this last principle, uh, the greatest reason to give in this age is the coming age. Heaven And and, and what we're learning is that the way to take hold with a closed fist in this life is to keep an open hand with this life. See? Because this is this is not going to heaven. It's not. The stuff, picture your house, picture your car, picture your degrees, picture, all, picture your clothes, picture your golf clubs, picture your stuff, your stuff right here. This stuff is not going to heaven. It's not. I, I, I did a funeral once and, and in the casket there was the body and then there was like Illini stuff. Stuff. It was just stuff. They needed extra pallbearers. I mean, because the body didn't weigh that much. I mean, it was the stuff. It wasn't a person at this church, okay? So I just, you know. Anyway, so, so we can talk about people who don't go to this church. Right, there you go. But I'm, it's like, you know, and the joke was, oh, wow, you know, they're going to need a wheelbarrow to haul this Illini stuff in the gates of heaven. No! No, because this isn't getting to the... This went to the cemetery. And if you open the grave and open the lid, that's where the stuff would be. You can't take it with you. But you can send it ahead. You see, biblical Christianity... According to biblical... We don't renounce this. We just relocate it. When it comes to stuff... God says, be smart, not stupid. And the way to be smart is to deposit and invest because when you generously share and when you generously serve, those are deposited. Because let me tell you what's better than a new house. You know what's better than a new house? A new house with a house full of guests. That's better. You know what's better than a new truck? Huh? A, A new truck... And then you say to a friend who needs it, here, go ahead. Yeah, use it. See, that's, what, that's what's better. You said, when you sacrificially serve, and then you show that you are committed to living not for the dot, but for the line. You see, the dot is earth. The line is forever. The dot is the here and now. The line is the there and then. The dot is this age. The line is the coming age. The true life. The eternal life. Knowing the eternal one. And let me tell you something. You know what's going to last that's in this life for the next life? You know what's going to last? This stuff is only going to be two things right now that's going to last in the next life. And the first is the word of God. The word of God is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. And then... People People. that's what's going to last. And so are we going to be a church that invests for the dot, or are we going to be for the church? I mean, what good is it to amass this that you can't take with you, to the neglect of the people that you love in your life? That's what's going to be what's so rich in heaven. Are you going to live for the dot? Are you going to live for the line? So, Paul's word for prosperous Ephesians then and prosperous Southwest Champagneites here is you live for the line. The best reason to give is heaven. Florence Chadwick. Almost forgot to tell you. Two months later, she steps back into the Pacific Ocean off of Catalina Island. And she makes it to California. Huh? She made it twenty-two miles. Huh? Twenty-two miles. She gets out of the water and they said, What was different? It wasn't the weather. Because it was just as foggy that day as it was earlier. You know what she said? She said, with every stroke in the water, I imagined the shore. I kept my mind on the shore. I let nothing distract me from the shore. I swam. I stroked I kicked. My mind was on the shore. Church family, keep your eye on the shore. Set your minds above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And you show that you do that. You show that you have a grip on the coming age. Closed fist grip on the coming age. By your open hands in service and sharing. Amen. Lord, we love you so much. And we want to please you in everything we do. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before you endured the cross. Scorning a shame, and you suffered, and then you sat down at the right hand of God. Thank you that you are our trailblazer. You are our captain. You're our king. Amen.